Gee, Pines, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pluto. Talk about Pinky and the Brain. chronicle their evolution episode by episode from Animaniacs to their two spinoff series and all the way to the Animaniacs reboot. My name is Mary Jo, but people call me MJ or Pines. And my name is Kelly, but you can call me Pluto. Today we'll be diving into the third segment of Pinky and the Brain, Battle for the Planet, which first premiered in episode 15 of Animaniacs. But before we get into the review itself, we'd like to actually quickly read out some of the feedback that we've received from our lovely listeners. So we have some feedback from some Tumblr users that have been following the Pointcast. Tumblr user Too Bad Mice says, Pointcast is great. I highly recommend a listen. Tumblr user Megalomice hails the hashtags new favorite podcast. It's so good. Please check it out. Tumblr user Two Opposite Sides of One Coin says in their hashtags, I love it already. I saw Pluto's art and was so excited. The pilot was fun and I really love the cover of the theme song. Thank you guys so much for your feedback. We all really appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. We interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you this important news bulletin. Come on, come on. Let's watch Animaniacs. <laughs> what is so funny? My favorite show. I can't get enough. Come on. Any other questions? Anything you can tell us about season two. What do you got there, baby bro? Another super exciting bit of information we have to share with you guys is the zaniest news you've been waiting for, according to Amblin on Twitter. They tweeted this along with saying that season two of Animaniacs premieres a lucky 13 brand new episodes this November 5th, only on Hulu. That's right, folks. That means we finally have a release date set for season two of Animaniacs, November 5th, 2021. So get ready for that uh, coming this fall. And with season two on the way, I recently made a post on the Twitter page at Podcast asking folks if there is anything in particular that they want to see in the second season. We got a few responses, and I want to read them out loud. The first response comes from Possum Princess, whose Twitter handle is at Invader Opossum, who wrote, For Brain to open up more. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Twitter user Mario Bendor Clips, whose Twitter handle is at Bendor Clips, wrote, more variety show bumpers, cold intros, and endings. And yeah, I would like to see the reboot try to emulate some of the more variety show-esque staples of the original series with interstitials and more of the cold opens and water tower endings. And Twitter user Riosin, whose Twitter handle is at Riosin, wrote, I want Julia and Future Brain to return. Maybe a backstory for Future Brain. Plus, I'd love to see Billy from the original series return. I love her. Yeah, I'd like to see more Future Brain in Julia. Future Brain in particular because that episode had an open ending, and I'm really curious to see if they decide to follow up with Future Brain and Blinky going on their adventure. I'd like to see more of how Future Brain came to be, actually. I can't help but wonder if what he says is true, and that Pinky did betray him, or if he's just overthinking things, or how that fallout happened. And as for Julia, I'm really interested to see how they're going to follow up with her storyline, so I'm really interested to see how that turns out. And as for Billy, I doubt that they're going to bring her back, but it would be neat if they did a callback to her of some sorts. And finally, Twitter user Nini, whose Twitter handle is at Nini was here, posted two finger emoticons, followed with a picture uh, that they drew of Brain cupping Pinky's cheeks as they kiss. 
with little red hearts surrounding them with the word smooch written in all capitals. And yes, I would I would like to see some Brinky too. That it would be interesting to see if the show decides to go there, but I don't I don't I can't really guarantee that it will, but it'd be neat though. It's very wishful thinking. But they add in another post. Really though, more character development for Brain in particular would be lovely. Wide-eyed emoticon in prayer hands. Julia makes a call-up post for him on Twitter and he gets canceled. That that would be funny to see Brain get called out in some sort of way. So yeah, those are all excellent responses. And yeah, I would love to see if any of those come to fruition. Personally speaking, I would like to see more character development for Brain and Pinky, seeing their relationship grow, maybe the relationship gets put to the test in some way. And I'd also like to see more songs, more wholesome moments, and more facial expressions. Because season one did a great job with pushing the poses and cartoony facial expressions, and I'd love to see more of that. And if you want to share your Pinky and the Brain opinions and have it read on our podcast, be sure to follow us on the Twitter page at Poitcast, our Tumblr page, which is poitcast.tumblr.com, or you can email us to thepoitcast at gmail.com. And we'd be more than happy to read your thoughts on these mice. And now we return to our previously recorded review. So today, the major theme in this particular episode of Animaniacs is aliens in outer space, with the first segment being Space Probe, which features the Warner siblings getting abducted by aliens and the hilarity that ensues. And in that segment, it features a brief cameo of Pinky and the Brain, where they're trapped under a glass dome, with Pinky holding out a send help sign. But now we'll move on to our next alien-themed short, Battle for the Planet. Battle for the Planet was written by Peter Hastings and directed by Alfred Jamino. And the title card is a space background with blue stars decorating the sky, which was the same title card used for Space Probe. So the cartoon starts off at Acme Labs as Brain educates Pinky, and by extension, the audience, on a fascinating historical event that inspired his latest plan for world domination. On Halloween 1938, the Mercury Theater presented a broadcast in which actor and future filmmaker Orson Welles read an excerpt from the classic H.G. Wells novel War of the Worlds. However, this broadcast caused widespread panic throughout the country in which a number of people thought that the dramatic reading was an actual news report. Brain states that radio was the most powerful tool at that time, and when he asked Pinky what the most powerful tool of this generation is, Pinky guesses a rubber band. To which Brain responds that the workings of Pinky's mind are a mystery, as he pulls the rubber band along. Pinky happily replies that he loves a good mystery just before he's smacked by the rubber band. <laughs> so after that, Brain responds that television is the most important or the most powerful tool uh, as he showcases three TV sets. And then he lassos a piece of string and he pulls one of the security cameras in the lab and he pulls it down. And he plans on staging this hoax so that people can leave the cities and make it easier for them to take over the world in so doing. So Blair's explaining all this as he presses a light fixture and poses dramatically with this like shadow of his cast up against the wall. Looks very dramatic. Very intimidating. Very intimidating mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and Pinky praises Brain and then he realizes that no one would be scared of them. Pinky says, he's like, we're practically the size of mice. And the brain corrects him and he says, we are mice, Pinky. <laughs> and Pinky happily responds, oh, right, well, there you are then. And then, and then Brain looks at the fourth wall with this exasperated expression on his face. Like raising his brow. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll see that a few times. Once in a while, Pinky makes him kind of <laughs> kind of raise his eyebrows. But Braid argues that it's a matter of scale. They can trick the masses into thinking that they're regular-sized humans through clever use of television and TV tricks. So Braid goes over to the camera, and he asks Picky to turn on the monitor. So when Picky sees Braid on the TV, he exclaims how gigantic Braid looks on the TV. Braid confidently states that television is the great deceptor. And Picky kind of gazes at Braid, and he does this really cute thing where he kind of clasps his paws together, and he goes like, Narf! <laughs> as he closes his eyes it's kind of cute like the music swells as he says this it's 
almost kind of a like loving little moment. It's very cute. It's like as if Pinky's like in love with Brain. It's like you could you could have like little <laughs> heart, cute. hearts around it. You kind of have the same effect. Yeah, it's a cute little bit. <laughs> it, it is really sweet. It's not a question of size, Pinky. It's a question of scale. Watch the monitor. Zounds, Brain! You're gigantic! Television, Pinky. The Great Deceptor. North. And then we get a clockwise green swipe as we see Brain sitting at his makeshift music desk made from cardboard and tape. Which goes to show how this whole hoax is operating on a shoestring budget. And we get to see more of that as the episode <laughs> progresses. We, we do. And Brain, he's sitting at his news desk and he has this whole getup where he wears a gray suit, a red tie, and a brown toupee, which is very reminiscent of the Pringles mascot's mustache. That's like a little, like, curl. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> I'm always impressed where they get all these clothes from. Like, I, I assume they just get dolls as clothes, Barbie clothes and stuff like that, and just dress up. Yeah, I'm also, like, curious where they got the wigs from. <laughs> I don't, the same same thing, I guess, you know, just like little wigs for dolls or something or just making it out of whatever they can find. Like, like making it out of like dryer lint or something. Or that. <laughs> I like, I appreciate the level of detail actually uh, that the artists put into this where they had to think like a mouse. Like, okay, well, if you're only a couple inches tall, it's like, well, what would you use, you know, as your desk? How do you make this like whole thing convincing, but still have it be up to scale? Yeah, right. Like, how would you make it look like this is actually happening, you know, <laughs> happening on television as if it was a real event? So they get clever with some of, like, the gadgets and things that the mice use. A lot of the props, which are very clever. Yeah, some of the props. Yeah, but, like, they're really clever with their use of just picking out common household items that you would use every day, just everyday items that they would have to use uh, in their plans, so... Or like having like a like a telephone made from like ball caps. Or that, yeah, that was in Fly actually. Yeah, he used this telephone that was just very very simply made that would not work normally, but <laughs> yeah. Or having like the mice drink from thimbles. Or that, yeah, they always came up with some cute solutions. That is, that is very cute. So going back to the episode, Pinky looks at the monitor as Brain asks Pinky, "How's my disguise?" And Pinky gasps, and he says, "Oh, Brain, is that you?" And like a surprised, <laughs> surprised reaction, Brain responds, placing his paw over his chest. "You flatter me, Pinky," which which really goes to show like the really nice and sweet and humorous banter between these two guys. How is my disguise, Pinky? Oh, is that you, Brain? You flatter me, Pinky. And it's, it's, yeah. I would say it's fairly ambiguous on whether or not Pinky is genuinely complimenting Brain, or if he genuinely doesn't even know that Brain is actually in disguise. Like, that's actually <laughs> Brain. Like, oh, Brain, that's you? But then he gives this, like, full, like, love struck, like, gasp, like, oh my goodness, is that you? <laughs> I don't know which it is. Like, he could very well just not. I, I like to think that he was purposely Me too. complimenting I, I like him. to think that Pinky is genuinely showering Brain with compliments because he yeah. loves him. He would do that. I mean, he's in character, so it's... It's a very in character. He's a very sweet mouse and always wants to make others feel yep. better. So That includes Brain. He loves to praise him and compliment him whenever he gets the chance. And he comments, you know, on occasion that he's impressed by what Brain does. So I think that this is in line yeah. with that, too. But anywho, Brain then commands Pinky to throw the switch as they begin the battle for the planets, which is a neat little title drop. So Pinky then throws the switch, and then the lab equipment lights up, with includes some diodes, little radio, little electronics. Little effects and stuff. Yeah, and we see Pinky look up. And then all of the airwaves from the equipment travel up to the uh, satellite that's on top of Acme Labs, which then beams up to the space satellite, and then into the homes of many unsuspecting TV viewers, including Ralph the security guard and the folks operating the TV station. And Brain begins his report by saying that they, they identified a UFO which crash-landed on Earth. 
He says that there's no cause for alarm, but there probably will be. And the viewers seem very <laughs> terrified by this prospect. Ian Ralph is so frightened by the news that he's too focused on the TV that he doesn't even notice the Warners running past the security booth and a neat little cameo as they escape the movie lot. <laughs> I like those little cameos from the Warners, like how the characters would cameo in each other's segments yeah, once in a while. It's probably one of the most clever like cameos where it's like they're just like running past Ralph. He's not even bothering to chase them. Yeah. <laughs> So they switch to a map of the Earth, and we see this UFO flying by this map, only for us to cut to seeing that it's actually Pinky, who's dangling this makeshift spacecraft in a string and a rod. Very reminiscent of, like, Ed Wood's filmography. Yeah. <laughs> and Brain reports that the UFO is about to crash and cause this huge explosion, but Pinky kind of misses this cue. And so Brain has to repeat, repeat it again. He's like, there's about to be, you know, there's going to be a huge explosion, and Pinky doesn't hear him. And he's like, I said there's <laughs> going to be a huge explosion, or something like that. And so Pinky is like, oh, sorry. And so he gets back on track, and he climbs up this ladder that's near Brain's desk, and he tosses down like this all this like, this little thimble that's like full of objects. And so he tosses these objects, yeah, pencils and stuff, and he throws it down on top of Brain's head and around him while making these like. <laughs> The explosion sounds and stuff, and and he actually falls down himself from the ceiling and lands on Brain while he's doing this. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, Brain's like, "We're gonna go live to the crash site." So, a few seconds after that, Brain slides slides to the side right into the set, and that kind of like detracts from like the authenticity. It's like, oh, it's like it oh, we're get somebody on the crash site, and then he's at the crash site. So it's like, okay. The, the poor guy's doing the best with what exactly. he's got. <laughs> he's working on a low budget here. Gotta give him some props for, you know, yeah. really pushing to it. Yeah, we gotta give him some credit. So, Brain's at this quote-unquote crash site, and he states that he's at a loss for words. and He's fixing his toupee that's, like, you know, disheveled. Yep. As he's doing that. <laughs> yep. And he tells Pinky to put the camera over at the spaceship, which is basically made of, like, this spray can... This small little water cup at the top, like a test tube that's taped to it, and it's cardboard that's taped to the sides. And the back, yeah, with pins. And then in the background, there's this like forested background, this painting of like a forested background to make it look like it's crash landed in the woods. So we see how low budget this production value is. But again, he's doing the best with what he's got. And then this alien, quote-unquote alien, pops out of the ship, which just so happens to be Pinky, of course, dressed in this, like, rubber glove with the hole cut out to show his face in the middle. And he's carrying this bug fogger thing, and he's got this you know, mean-looking frown in his face, trying to look as intimidating as Pinky could possibly look. But he looks so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's just not very intimidating. <laughs> he does his best. So then Brain warns the viewers to run for their lives as he switches over to an aerial view on Chopper 5. And then the best part, this this, bit. This the best part of the episode comes. As the camera, the, camera cuts, the camera cuts to Brain reporting from a city scenery decorated with buildings made from cardboard, water cups, and milk boxes with straws as the chimneys. All of, you know, very... Very to scale, to a city made for a mouse. Yep. And then Brain stays as he's reporting from Chopper 5 as he's rapidly beating his chest to his fist to simulate the helicopter blades rotating. And he's just like doing this. <laughs> you watch Chopper 5. Yeah, he's just like. Reporting <laughs> Chopper 5, this horrible scene. And he's just doing this. And like the animation is like rapid on his like fist. I, I don't know how long I can stay on the air. I'll try to get to our aerial view in Chopper 5. Chopper 5, high above the city. The horrible creatures from Mars, invading, destroying everything in their path. Oh, the humanity. That joke was legit so funny. It's probably my favorite joke, like, out of all the Animaniacs picking the brain segments. Like, that, was that was too just funny. too funny. And he's trying to, like, keep it serious as he's, like, trying to make it, like, oh, yeah. okay, people are definitely going to buy this. 
It's like, okay. Yep. Like, <laughs> that's like something like maybe a toddler will fall for, but like, who else is going to fall for? But not exactly. the world. He's severely underestimating <laughs> like human nature. But regardless, another aspect that makes the uh, production volume, production value fall flat is the uh, magnifying glass. He's standing right in front of the magnifying yep. glass as he's talking about the horrible creatures from Mars terrorizing the city. And Pinky barges in with his comedic frown, and he proceeds to knock down all the flimsily made buildings one by one. And Brain informs the audience that there's this is no hoax, and to run for their lives. He even adds, we're not making this up, just so we can take over the world. Which, the first time he actually lies about his intentions, but, you know, he's, he's got to sell it. Yep. This is no hoax, ladies and gentlemen. I urge you to run for your lives while you can. We're not making this up just so we can take over the world. He's got a song. And as he's saying this, Pinky approaches the magnifying glass as Brain showcases his horrible, his horrible acting as he urges people to run, their, run for their lives and flee, flee the cities. And Pinky makes this horrible, frowny face at the magnifying glass while Brain cowers and he flees. But then as Pinky walks up to the camera in an intimidating way, he takes the nozzle off of the bug fogger and he starts to fly around the room in zippy, cartoony fashion and crashes straight into the camera lens. And Pinky just is makes this, you know, hurt expression. He's like, oh, and he slides down the camera lens before the report cuts to static. And Brain turns off the broadcast thinking that he's got the world duped, that his plan was a success and that everybody's fled the cities to their <laughs> convincing report. So then, or so he or thinks. So he thinks. His brain immediately congratulates Pinky for his excellent performance, confidently assuming that his plan worked and people have already fled the cities and that the world is theirs for the taking. <laughs> You know what? Like you said earlier, you got to give him props for trying to play it as straight as possible. It is. It's, it's so it's so funny just how this whole like broadcast was ex- executed. Yep. But uh, Brain's, Brain's plan doesn't quite work according to to plan as as usual. It's like right after this, we we cut to an exterior of Acme Labs. And we see the mice ex- exit to the mail slot and slide down this rope and. They decide, you know, they're going to head to the White House, seize power, because Brain is just so overly confident that his plan has worked. But as they're heading out, this newspaper truck comes rushing in, throws out an evening paper, which lands like square on top of them. And the mice pop out and read the headlines on the front page. And it says, Battle for the Planet Comedy Smash, with this picture of Brain and Pinky in their costumes. And after this, we just see like shots of various like individuals who are watching this program and they're just laughing hysterically. Like Ralph is cracking up, you know, news folks are, are having a good laugh. So the family's cracking up. Yeah. Families are laughing. So everybody's having a great old time. Yep. His, his plan got people's attention. All right. But not quite in the way that he expected. So, <laughs> so brain says, you know, he's like, Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And Pinky says, well, I think so, Brain, but if we didn't have ears, we'd look like weasels. <laughs> and Brain states, he's like, no one fled from their homes at all. It's like, they found us humorous. So his plan has failed once again. He's back to the drawing board. So he hops off the newspaper and he starts to walk away. And Picky asks where Brain's going. He replies, back to our cage to prepare for tomorrow night. And Picky trots over to catch up to Brain as they engage in their nightly routine of what are we going to do tomorrow night? And we see them make their way back to the lab as we get this pan-up shot of Acme as Don approaches. And we hear the end chorus of the Warner siblings singing them off into the night. No, Pinky. Our hoax. No one went anywhere. No one fled the cities. They found us humorous. Where are you going, Brian? Back to our cage, Pinky. We must plan for tomorrow night. Why? What are we going to do tomorrow night? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. And that, folks, is Battle for the Planet. Very cute little episode. Very funny. Yeah. 
But before we discuss like our thoughts in the episode, let's actually talk about some fu- some like first and fun facts that uh, we see throughout. So, uh, Pines, why don't you start us off with the firsts? Will do. So this is the first Pinky in the Brain segment that specifically references American actor and director Orson Welles. Yep. And while the episode doesn't name drop him, they do reference his dramatic reading of War of the Worlds as that serves as the inspiration for Brain's world domination scheme and Battle for the Planet. And as we mentioned in the pilot episode of Poitcast, Maurice LaMarche's voice for Brain was heavily inspired by Wells. And specifically, when he went to audition, LaMarche looked at a character model sheet for Brain and assumed that it was Orson Wells, even though the original inspiration for Brain was inspired by Tiny Toons and Animaniacs writer Tom Minton. But Maurice interpreted like that as, oh, he looks like Orson Wells. So he used his impression in his audition, and he pretty much got the part right away. And of course, this won't be the last time that Wells is referenced, as um, the actor and his filmography are constantly alluded to throughout Animaniacs and the Pinky and the Brain spinoff. And the next Orson Wells-related episode that we'll cover is Yes Always, which is essentially a $250,000 inside joke where the whole cartoon is essentially a humorous riff on the infamous Frozen Peas commercial outtakes. Because as we all know, kids love Orson Welles, and they can't get enough of the guy. (laughs) I love that they were not, like, afraid to just have some fun in-jokes and things for the adults to get. And even back then, I think that joke would have been kind of... Very obscure. Not many people would have... Yeah, more obscure, but it's great. It's like, I love that they that they took the time to, to do to spend the money on doing stuff like that. It, it made the show yeah. stand and out. I like more. how the like quasi educational the the Mercury Theater reading of War of the Worlds was in this one. Because not a lot of kids would know that. But it's like, oh, we're gonna yeah. just, you know, exposit this historical event that happened. Yeah, I like that too. That they make references to historical events and things of the sort and tie it in with the episode and what's going on. And so it's cool that they would do that. Lots of fun. Yeah. Next little first, uh, Battle for the Planet actually marks the first time the mice use the media in their efforts for global domination. The classic Animaniacs episode uh, or segment, Bubba Boba Brain, has Brain becoming a country's megastar so he could spread his. Subliminal message of becoming Earth's ruler. There's also several episodes in the Pinky and the Brain spinoff where they use cinema and TV to take over the world. TV or not TV focuses on Brain working to become a successful comedian in order to get his own television show. Uh, Brain Song has Brain filming the most moving tearjerker ever <laughs> in his mind that parodies the film. Oh, Brian uh, Song. Song. Uh, Brian Song, yeah. Uh, Cinebrainia where Pinky and Brain become silent film stars is another good example. And Whatever Happened to Baby Brain has Brain becoming a child star in the 1930s, parodying film career of Shirley Temple. Uh, there's one other one in the spinoff as well. It's called But That's Not All Folks. Oh, yeah, the infomercial. Yeah, the infomercial. That's actually kind of similar to uh, this little radio show that they're doing. Yeah, like that one, um, I think it's in season three or something of the spinoff Yeah, show. it is. And where they, that yeah, was that a lot was of fun. fun. It has sort of the same comedic timing as Battle for the Planet. Yep. But they kind of up the ante a little bit by having it be in real time, having all these ridiculous costume changes and everything. Yep. <laughs> and just trying to upsell, upsell. And all of it takes place in Acme Labs, or at least the mice, you know. Instead of actually going outside of the lab, uh, which they would often do in episodes, that one takes place entirely inside the the lab. And unlike Battle for the Planet, Uh, um, the people actually buy this product. They're, like, really invested. Yeah, they actually buy it. They're more invested in that. And they don't really see, like, the fake production value as they did for Battle for the Planet. (laughs) Yeah, so that one, they actually are duped um, up until, like, the very end. So that's another example of them using media to try to get their way and even the reboot like one of the reboot episodes future brain uh, also features media in which brain has directed and produced this critically acclaimed movie that gets all the way to a nomination for best picture at the oscars uh so it's just kind of a cool little nod to show like how his filmmaking skills have been refined over the years like it's gotten to the point where he's able to make a movie that's good enough for 
an Oscar nomination. So, like, he's had all this time to practice. Like, of course, he would try to get that. Right. And that, that movie in question is called A Beautiful Brain, which is a parody of A Beautiful Mind. Yep. I do wonder if that was an intentional thing regarding them showcasing that his filmmaking skills have improved since the 90s to the point where he's able to make a successful movie. Yeah, to make a successful film. Like, I wonder, like, was it just for the joke alone or did they actually do that on purpose? I kind of wonder. I want to say it's both. I hope so. (laughs) I'd like to think so. Yeah, because it's a great joke, but it's also a very little meta, like, yeah. Like, oh, he's had all this time to, like, you know, practice and, like... Hone his skills. Hone his skills as a filmmaker. Maybe not rely on cardboard and low-production props. Maybe actually have, like, a set. <laughs> yep. So he's, he's managed to become a professional filmmaker by that time. Yeah, he's, he's had some practice. But it was fun to see his humble beginnings in Battle for the Planet. <laughs> Yeah. And this is the first Animaniac segment to reference the works of author H.G. Wells, as Battle for the Planet is a nod to his classic sci-fi novel, War of the Worlds. Even the title of the segment, Battle for the Planet, is a nice little spoof of sorts of War of the Worlds. In a way, yeah. Yep. And then there is another Pinky in the Brain segment on Animaniacs that pays homage to his other novel, The Time Machine, in the Pinky in the Brain segment, When Mice Rule the Earth which we won't get to until a little ways down the line. And it premieres in episode 47. Yeah. yeah episode 47 of Animaniacs. So it will be, yeah, a, a little ways down the line. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Uh, you're moving on from that. This is the first time Picky says Zounds. <laughs> he says Zounds brain, which is kind of one of his lesser known ticks. He mainly used it in the Animaniacs series and not so much in the spinoff. In fact, I completely forgot that he said that because he doesn't use it very often, if at all, in the spinoff from what I recall. But he says Zounds a few times. There are segments for Animaniacs. Yeah. I think it's cute, though. It's like Zounds, brain. It is cute. I like that text. Sort of like Zoinks, but not really. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. It's a little version of it. I I like Zounds. I kind of wish they had used that more, but... They stuck with the main ones. They stuck with Narf, Point, Zort, Traz. Yeah. They stuck with those. Main quad of ticks. Yep. Yep. And moving on, this is also the first instance of Pinky saying the phrase, right, well, there you are then, after Brain says something very <laughs> obvious. And that's Pinky's usually go-to response. Yep. And he did use that in the spinoff a few times, from mm-hmm. what I recall. This is the first time we see Brain wearing a wig. Uh, there are some instances where we'll see Brain wearing a hairpiece or a toupee in his disguises, but it's always kind of fun seeing him wear little hairpieces and stuff. And Pinky will do the same. It's like, we'll see Pinky do more of this too. More often in the spinoff, I think, than in the Animaniac segments. But they, they definitely dress up on more than one occasion in general. And this is the first time the title is mentioned within the episode as Brain refers to his stage hoax as Battle for the Planet, which is the title of the segment. Yep. I don't think they did that very often where they actually mention the title in the episode. It's probably one of the few times that they do that. I'm trying to think of any other examples of uh, episodes where they mention the actual title. Brain Acres within that song segment. Yeah, Brain Acres. Rainmakers is where we will go. Giant vegetables is what we'll grow. Kings and presidents may have their doubts, but I'll take over the world with Brussels sprouts. Yeah, that's that's definitely one. They do mention brain acres. Snowball, obviously. Yeah, snowball. Uh I'm trying to think of any other ones. Yeah. Could you imagine if they, like, name-dropped, like, oh, it's a Pinky of the Brain Christmas with that episode or something like that? <laughs> they try to drop it in every single episode <laughs> in some, or in some way. Someone tried to name-drop Brinky yeah. within that episode. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, that would be funny. Uh, this is also the first instance in which Pinky asks Brain where he's going, and Brain responds with, 
back to such and such to plan for tomorrow night. And he would say this quite often, uh, not only in uh, some of the Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain segments, but also in the spinoff. And they would refine it to, to prepare for tomorrow night. Yeah, they, they would. Uh, usually he would say back to the lab, uh, but sometimes this would be altered depending on the theme of the episode, where they were, what they were doing. So, you know, this would change up sometimes. And this is also the first time we see Brain stick his paws in his fur pockets. Yeah, yeah. Once in a while, uh, this is to me. This is really cute. Uh, but in cartoony fashion, uh, you'd see characters like Bugs Bunny, you know, whatnot, doing this quite often, where a character would stick their hands in their quote-unquote pockets that were just basically pockets made of fur. Like they wouldn't be wearing any pants or anything. They were just sticking it, their hands in their hips as if their fur had pockets in them. And, and Brain does the same thing sometimes where he just sticks his hands in these little fur pockets. And he does that here uh, in a shot where he's seen on the TV. Uh, you see him do it there. And he does it a few other times. And you see it near the end where he's just shoving it in his pockets. Yep. On top of the newspaper or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cute. It's just he shoves it in whenever he's like aggravated or something. It is cute. They didn't do it often enough, in my opinion. I like the fur pockets. Yeah, I thought it was a, cute. A very interesting little detail. Yeah. So now we'll move on from our first to our fun facts. Yeah. So starting with the first fun fact, uh, the radio adaptation of War of the Worlds that Brain informs in his exposition was the inspiration for his world domination plan in this episode. So. On October 30th, 1938, popular radio anthology series, uh, the Mercury Theater on the Air, presented a Halloween episode in which actor and future filmmaker Orson Welles read an excerpt or kind of a, a version of an excerpt from War of the Worlds from the book. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theater and star of these broadcasts, Orson Welles. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century... This world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. However, there were a number of people who thought that this dramatic reading was like an actual news report, um, and the false information kind of spread to other people. They had to call, like, the authorities. Yeah, it got kind of crazy. Uh, not, like, you, you hear about the panic uh, that was happening at the time. It wasn't nearly as widespread as you might have heard talked about, uh, but there was still some like unrest. Like the police did come, I believe to the studio. They had to answer a lot of phone calls that were coming in. Even the actors I think had to work like were recruited to answer the phone calls uh, that were, that were coming in <laughs> for people concerned. And there was one community in concrete Washington where the phone lines and electricity suffered a short circuit Residents there were unable to call their neighbors, families, or friends to calm their, calm their fears. And there were reporters who heard of the coincidental blackout, which sent the story over the newswire, which sort of landed the town in worldwide news. Yeah, there, there was some, yeah, some panic. So, yeah, that, that was kind of crazy. But reading up on this, um, yeah, the panic wasn't quite, again, as widespread as was reported. It, it kind of turned out, I believe, that uh, people were already on edge due to various like ominous happenings going on in the world that seemed to be leading to a second world war, which, of course, did end up happening. So people were already on edge and really sort of nervous and anxious about what's to come. Right. So some folks that tuned in, you know, to this broadcast missed the announcements that the broadcast was just a fictional reading. And so some people were under the impression that they were hearing reports of some kind of a German invasion or some natural catastrophe. And the reason why, like, they didn't really hear very often this was just a fictional broadcast was because the broadcast was unsponsored. So those involved in the show, they could take breaks whenever they, you know, so chose, whenever they wanted to. So they didn't have to worry about scheduling their breaks around advertisements. So they just had, like... They had one announcement at the beginning of the show that it was fictional, and they had two others that were like 40 minutes and 55 minutes into the show or something like that. So they only, Which is a while. Yeah, which is a while. So they only had like three notices that it was a fictional broadcast, and two of them were like, you know, way into the reading, uh, near the end of it almost. So those, you know, who might have tuned in in the middle of it, you know, might have thought that this was an actual, you know, report of something happening in the world. So... 
there were reasons as to why there was, you know, unrest going on and phone calls coming in. It's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's sort of interesting, though, if you look up the history yeah, of this. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those, like, hoaxes that just brought the world into a frenzy for a while. Yeah, I like that they played upon that here in the episode, though, how they took this, you know, event that happened and turned it into something a bit more humorous. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have said hoax, but, like, an event that happened. Uh, yeah, basically. So that was that was really cool. It's really fascinating having like the reading broadcast and how that led to like some panic among some people and how like Brain decided to use that but instead of television. And kind of he could yep. court, like sort of get away with that, especially in the 90s cuz it wasn't like digital effects or like Photoshop, people weren't as like aware. Yeah, he would have had to use all practical, which he did, but but to mouse scale. To mouse scale. Like, if he actually had had a budget, maybe he could have gotten away with it. Because <laughs> it is a genuinely good idea. It is. Like, it's not a half bad idea yeah, for a player. it's a good idea that was botched in execution. Because he's like, oh, I have all these, like, these limited resources, but you know what? I'm too confident that I'm not even going to, like, bother thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My plan will work. It'll work. No problem. People yeah. will buy it. And then um, the scene where the diodes light up and the scene where Pinky looks up from the monitor, those are brought back for the spinoff opening title sequence. Yep. That's right. They used that. Yeah, the title sequence in the opening for, yeah, for the spinoff, we see various clips from different episodes. And this is one of them, uh, yeah, where the little diodes are going off and Pinky looks looks over his shoulder, uh, the lights going off. Uh, they do showcase that in the in the opening sequence for the spinoff. So you see that here. This next factoid I did not know about. It says the family that could be seen watching TV is Elmira Duff's family. Uh, so Mac Duncan and Elmira, or Emily Duff. Mac Duncan and Emily Duff, uh, all of whom were featured in the Tiny Toons episodes that centered around Elmira's family. But in this segment, Elmira's hair is blonde instead of orange. Oh, Emily's hair. Emily's, I'm sorry. I keep wanting to say Elmira's. <laughs> and the similarities. There are, uh, but yeah. So in this uh, in this episode, they changed Emily's hair from blonde uh, from orange to blonde, and the inclusion of Elmira's family is kind of an unintentional foreshadowing, I guess, of the unfortunate crossover that's that's to come later on. Eventually, we'll get to that Elmira spinoff. But this is interesting. Like, I I didn't know that that was Elmira's family. I'd seen them before, and you only get like a couple of episodes with them in uh, Tiny Toons. Like, they were trying to make a spinoff show of Elmira and her family at one point. Like, they were trying to get that to be a thing. And it just did not succeed. It didn't. Yeah. It did not take off, but... I also heard that they tried to get, like, Plucky's show. Yep, they tried to get Plucky to have a show as well. Uh, Plucky was... Plucky Duck uh, was one of the title characters in Tiny Toons, and I guess he was a popular character at the time, and so they were trying to get a spinoff for him as well, but it that also did not happen. Uh, instead, we got Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, and whatnot, and I'm, I'm fine with that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, like, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly just satisfied that, the, like, the mice, they were able to get a lot of episodes in with their own spinoff. Yeah, same. Like, it, it, it managed to work. It was a hit, and people liked it. And But then, unfortunately, we had the retooling of that show with Elmira. Yeah, they eventually did make something along those lines happen. Did her family even, like, appear in the show? Because I'm still, like, halfway through. No. You never see her family. Um, maybe you see, like, I think they're mentioned once or twice in an episode or two. But you never actually see them at all. The family that I think they were trying to make work in the Tiny Toons uh, show was kind of cute, but it just didn't take off. Yep. Another another fun fact is uh, there's another animation error uh, similar to the one where in Where Road and Stare, where Brain's eyes are colored blue yet again instead of pink <laughs> during the scene Whoops. where he says they find us humorous. Yeah, you'll catch little animation errors here and there. If you're if you're paying attention, sometimes you'll catch stuff like this on uh, the episodes. 
Um, and the last little fun fact is when Brain is setting up the three cameras, he remarks that this technique was pioneered by the great Desi Arnaz. And for those who don't know, Desi Arnaz uh, was the spouse of uh, Lucille Ball for a time. In the 1950s, he founded Desilu Productions, which produced a little little known show you might have heard of called I Love Lucy. And he played the character of Ricky, Lucy's husband on that show. And uh, he was, Arnaz was widely credited for the development of the multi-camera setup production style that kind of became the standard filming technique for many situational comedies. But this technique was actually not pioneered by him. It was used before by Jerry Fairbanks, I believe, who was a producer and director. And Arnaz actually did credit him for that. He said that he was actually the guy that started this. And I think this technique had even been used before that in like... The Amos Brothers show? Yeah, in other settings. Uh, so it was, you know, Arnaz was not the pioneer, but I think he made it more popular, perhaps, or, you know, used it more. So, but uh, one thing that Desilu Productions that Arnaz did uh, invent was, or do differently, was they used a 35 millimeter, uh, 35 millimeter film for the setup as opposed to 16 millimeter. So this technique would be perfected in the 70s when uh, Gary Marshall put in a fourth camera when he filmed Work at Mindy so that he could better capture Robin Williams's performance in that film. And uh, Marshall, interestingly enough, would later become a special guest in the Pinky and the Brain spinoff show uh, in the Pinky and the Brain Halloween episode, actually, where Mr. he plays Itch. the character of Mr. Itch. Yeah, Mr. Itch. So, which is basically, he's basically the show's interpretation of the devil and was like the main villain of the, yeah. of the special. So, Allow me to introduce myself. Mr. Itch, proprietor of Wayward Souls, what do you want from me? Why, I want the same thing you want, Brain. I want you to take over the world. How did he do that, Brain? Uh, mirrors or wires. Any idiot can do it. It's kind of fun how these things come full yeah. circle sometimes. It's sort of <laughs> like they dropped, you know, the filming techniques of Arnaz how that sort of was perfected by Gary Marshall. And then he was on Pinky and the Brain. So it's really cool. Yep. It's, it's a small world in film. Everybody knows everybody else. <laughs> a lot of the time, what stuff goes around and comes full circle now and again. So yeah, small world in film. Fascinating stuff. All right. So let's go on. Talk about our thoughts about the episode. Sounds good. Yep. So I'll, I'll start. I thought that Battle of the Planet was a really fun and enjoyable segment. The entertainment factor of this episode is essentially all comes from watching the mice trying their hardest to pull off the stage alien invasion with practically no budget and few resources. It's a lot of fun <laughs> watching these guys act in front of a camera. Ray's acting in particular is very phoned in and pretty terrible. <laughs> I love how he's trying his best to put up some authenticity into this fake news broadcast. Pinky seems to have a lot of fun in the role of the alien as he's wearing this hilariously goofy frown and is trying to come off as intimidating, but <laughs> he's actually just way too adorable. <laughs> Pinky's the better actor, honestly. It's like, I think this is really his, like, something he enjoys doing. Like, he loves, he loves performing and you know, being on the set. Like, he seems to really enjoy doing that kind of thing. Brain does, too. It's just that Brain's a lot more yeah, stoic about it. Yeah, it's just the two different sides. You got the stoic and you got the hammy. Yep, yep. very hammy. Which goes into how much fun it is. Yep. Anyway, there are a lot of great scale jokes with the mice having to build props out of common household objects and lots of cardboard, which only adds to the hilarity of the situation. And I also love how Brain's overconfidence and lack of foresight was really the cause of the plan's failure, as he really thought that people would genuinely yeah. buy this alien invasion that's framed more like an Ed Wood movie. <laughs> this this comes in a lot regarding his overconfidence and lack of foresight. Like, there's a number of occasions where Pinky will point out something that Brain will have overlooked. Um, he thinks he has all, you know, everything lined up, but Pinky will be like, uh, wait a minute, I think that you missed something here. Um, and he tends to be very overconfident in his plan working, so much so that as many times as he's failed, every time he comes up with a new plan, he is just absolutely confident that this one is going to work. And when it doesn't, he's just like, oh, well, back to the drawing board. 
Yeah. Which uh, I appreciate. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a good example of like never exactly. give up, right? And it's a good example of perseverance in the face of failure. It is. And I think it's something that Maurice even stated. He was like, it's kind of what he sees, I believe, as the um, kind of what the show is about. Obviously, it centers a lot on the friendship between the characters, but it's also about never giving up, like never give up on your dreams, follow your dreams, you know, even if they seem impossible, even if you never reach them, go for them anyway. <laughs> like have that confidence and keep pushing towards what you want to do. Yep. And even when the broadcast does become a comedy smash, Brain doesn't really think to bank on the possibility of becoming a TV comedian as he's way too serious. It doesn't want to stoop down to the level of being seen as humorous. It's like he also he almost finds it as like an insult, like, oh, I'm humorous. Yeah. He wants to be taken seriously. <laughs> yeah, which which only adds to how cute he is. Absolutely. <laughs> I love the homage to the infamous War of the Worlds reading, and it's a really fun way to educate younger viewers of the events of 20th century American history, and having that whole get-up be like the inspiration of Brain's world domination scheme. That was really great. Yeah, absolutely. I love the banter between Brain and Pinky here, from Pinky flattering Brain to Brain praising Pinky's performance. It really goes to show that these two are genuinely good friends. Yeah, I love that too. Uh, how there's not just like, it's not really villain and lackey uh, as you would expect it to be. And there's not a lot of animosity. Yeah, no, it's like they care about each other and they enjoy yeah. doing these I mean, there might together. be annoyance on Brain's part, but nothing like, there's no like, there's no hatred. There's no like vile, like bitterness. No. It's all, it's all love. Even if like he has to put up with pinky silliness at times. But they, they enjoy doing that. And Pinky's always happy to assist. Yeah. Uh, it feels just very, um, it feels very real and grounded. It's like, your best friend, you're going to get annoyed with them sometimes. You know, they're not always going to do things that you like. <laughs> uh, you're going to get on one another's nerves, but if you care about one another, that doesn't matter. It's like, you know, you'll get over it. You'll resolve it in some way. It's not going to, you know, the friendship is strong. It's not going to break the friendship. And that's what it feels like here. It feels like they annoy one each other sometimes, but they still have fun doing what they do and they like one another's company. Exactly. And by the third segment, you can really tell that these characters are starting to come in on their own and how the appeal of their segments come from their interplay and their great chemistry together and just how, how much fun their dynamic is. Yeah. And additionally, you can sense that how confident the crew is with the pinky and the brain segments as they can take a simple concept and open it up to so many comedic possibilities by satirizing pop culture events or by having the mice do something very silly and just going along for the ride, which proves that their segments are not really concerned with world domination, but just seeing their enjoyable antics and what these characters get themselves into. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the world domination plan is just a backdrop. You know, it's, the setting itself and the idea is definitely comedic. Like, it's a really, really funny idea. You could do a ton of stuff with that. It opens up the writers to, it opens the writers up to a lot of possibilities. But the core, it's about the friendship between the characters, and that's what grounds it. Regarding, like, my thoughts on this. Um, yeah, I was going to say, those are, those are my thoughts, but what did you think of this episode, Pluto? Um, I'm, like, pretty much in the same boat as you. I, I love how, like, I think it's a very fun and enjoyable episode. I love how hard they try to make this broadcast seem as legit as possible, only for it to kind of just blow up in their face <laughs> in a way that they just don't expect. Like, they are a success, but in the exact opposite way that Brain expected and wanted it to be. Uh, but I like that little twist at the end. And I like that uh, this episode shows how dedicated Brain is to making like these types of fabrications as realistic as possible. Even if they don't always work as intended, he always puts a lot of hard work into what he's doing and tries to make it authentic. So it shows how serious he is about taking over the world. Um, there's some pretty funny jokes in here throughout. That helicopter thing is still like my favorite. That's <laughs> one of my favorite jokes ever. It's just, yeah, it's just so funny. Um, we get some really cute pinky moments and expressions. And uh, I also like the War of the Worlds uh, reading the reference to that and 
uh, the fact that Maurice LaMarche gets kind of this opportunity to really put on his Orson Welles cap and play it up, <laughs> play up this reference must have been fun for him, I imagine. I like that it showcases how the mice work together on the project. Like, even though Pinky tends to screw things up, he's very sincere in his assistance. He, like, he cares about what Brain is doing and likes to get involved. And, you know, even though Brain knows that Pinky often flubs things, he trusts him anyway. Uh, probably in part because he doesn't really have a choice. You know, <laughs> he's like, you know, the only cohort that he has in this. So he kind of has to give Pinky the reins in something. But but it's nice to see him actually congratulate Pinky on a job well done, uh, which is kind of nice. So like it shows that, you know, Pinky's going to flip up some things, but Brain has to yeah. trust him to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> obviously he trusts him a lot as we see later. And he does appreciate what, you know, when Pinky does yeah. a good job. Because it does nice. lean more on like that friendship element than rather like, oh, you're the only person I have. I don't have much of a choice. So it does lean more on the floor right. where he does see Pinky as a friend and someone he can rely on and somebody who's happy to help him out. So that's always great. Yeah. It's nice. Like Pinky is not a punching bag. It's like Brain does hit him around and bop him a lot when he gets upset about something, but he's not there to just like only help him with his plans and nothing else. It's like, no, they actually do spend time doing fun things together um, and talking about stuff and hanging out and, so it's not all about taking over the world. Um, it is about the friendship between these characters. Yep. So with our thoughts now um, laid out, let's give out our NARF rating. So I'm going to give Battle for the Planet 10 NARFs out of 10. I really love this segment. It's a lot of fun from beginning to end. It gets everything across within a seven-minute time uh, runtime. And I love just how it references the War of the Worlds reading and how they try to up it to a contemporary setting with television and how that plays out. So it's a really great idea that's executed brilliantly. Yeah, definitely worthy of a high rating. Um, it's a very fun, enjoyable episode. A lot of funny segments and some cute moments between the characters and some great jokes. Um, I give it a 9 out of 10 NARF rating. So now let us educate you with our word of the day. Awesome. Word of the daytime. Let's, All let's right, hear so it, Pines. This one's like my favorite one so far. So the word of the day <laughs> is Furfy. It's not Furby, like the little demonic toys. It's Furfy. <laughs> and it's spelled F-U-R-P-H-Y. Furfy. It's a noun and it's, it's Australian slang, meaning a false report or a rumor. And to put that word in a sentence... Brain's news report of a staged alien invasion was a furphy that flopped, as the TV viewers found humor in the broadcast low-budget production and poor acting. I think that's my favorite word of the day so far. Furfie. I have to really have oh, the for the next ones. <laughs> it's just fun to say. I like that. Like I always like the words that you pick, but I think this is my favorite so far. And now we'll transition over to the social media plug. So you heard what we have to say about this episode, but we want to hear from you, the listener, on what you have to say about Battle for the Planet or Pinky and the Brain in general. We would love to hear your thoughts on them, and you can send send your thoughts to various websites. You can send your thoughts through the PointCast Twitter page, which is at PointCast, spelled P-O-I-T-C-A-S-T, or the PointCast Tumblr page, which is Pointcast, same spelling, .tumblr.com. Or you can email us through thepointcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode of our podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. That way you, you'll be able to help us boost the show on those podcast services. And we'll be more than happy to read aloud any positive reviews that we come across. And you can also find us individually on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Ace Librarian, spelled A-C-E hyphen L-I-B-R-A-R-I-A-N. On Tumblr at Pinestraws, which is P-I-N-E-S hyphen T-R-O-Z. And if you want to read my fanfiction, you can find my works on AO3 under my username Congressman Mabel, all one word and all lowercase. And you can reach me on Twitter at Michiki. That's M-I-T-C-H-E-K-I-E, Michiki. You can also reach me on Tumblr at PlutoArt, 
That's spelled P-L-U-T-O dash A-R-T, Pluto Art, if you like my artistic works. Or if you like to read some fan fiction, you're welcome to check out my stories on Archive of Our Own, also known as AO3, and on fanfiction.net under the username Michiki, same spelling as the Twitter name. All right. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode of PointCast. But now Pluto and I must return to the lab and prepare for the next episode. Why, Pines? What are we going to do next episode? The same thing we do every episode, Pluto. Talk about Pinky and the Brain. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. The podcast was created for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not endorsed by Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment. All characters, sounds, and images related to Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Pinky Elmira and the Brain, and other Warner Brothers properties and trademarks are copyrighted their respective holders. The opinions of the host, co-host, and any podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment.